This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 38 of The Fourth Wall. I'm, of course, your host, Griffin Schiller, and this is the show where we break down the fourth wall of the film industry as we get an inside look through our conversations with industry professionals ranging from writers, directors, actors, you name it. This show is, of course, part of the Playlist Podcast Network, where you can find the rest of our amazing show catalog. We're talking stuff like The Discourse, Be Real, Deep Focus, The Playlist Podcast, and so much more. Whatever your fix is, we definitely have you covered over there. Today's guest needs no introduction. He's one of the best creatives in the industry and has been for quite some time and for as young as he is he's had an incredibly lengthy career of course i am talking about the one and only joseph gordon levitt there are few performers who manage to maintain a high profile in the public eye and who are perpetually coveted by filmmakers in the way that Joseph Gordon-Levitt has. Having started as a child actor in hit films like A River Runs Through It and Angels in the Outfield, Gordon-Levitt came into adulthood while starring in the iconic sitcom Third Rock from the Sun and the fan-favorite rom-com Ten Things I Hate About You. It was in the 2000s where his star rose into the stratosphere, turning in widely acclaimed work in such films as Mysterious Skin, Inception, my favorite film of all time, and his frequent collaborations with the one and only Ryan Johnson, including the lead roles in Brick and Looper. This is all without mentioning his Golden Globe-nominated performances in 500 Days of Summer and 50-50, and his severely underseen and underrated directorial debut Firestorm, Don John, which Gordon-Levitt also wrote and starred in, or the fact that Gordon-Levitt is as talented a musician and singer as he is a performer and filmmaker. With a huge resume of beloved films under his belt, Gordon-Levitt has actually been a bit absent from the silver screen recently, with his big biggest acting credits in the past few years being snowed in, but more notably, last year's Project Power and The Trial of the Chicago 7. The actor also began to shift more of his efforts towards ramping up operations on Hit Record, a collaborative media platform owned by Gordon Levitt that fosters collaboration between its users as well as Gordon Levitt himself. However, Hit Record isn't the sole reason for Gordon Levitt's absence from the silver screen, and it just just so happens to serve as the genesis for his latest venture, Mr. Corman, Parenthood. Writing, starring in, and even directing eight episodes of the 10-part miniseries, which streams on Apple TV Plus this summer, and you can watch the first two episodes now, Gordon Levitt, who is now 40, if you can believe it, reflects on his life and the new perspective that comes with fatherhood through the lens of an alternate reality. He plays Josh Corman, a middle school teacher in San Fernando who struggles with a crisis of conscience when he considers what might have been if he had pursued a musical career instead of becoming a teacher. In this series, Gordon Levitt brings in a lot of the same collaborative efforts and techniques that he's fostered and built up in Hit Record, and while it is obviously a very self-reflective piece, 
it isn't all Gordon Levitt. There are several episodes that are not directed by him and other voices that he brought to the table that strengthens the authenticity of the series as a whole. During the course of this conversation, we talk about the writer's room, how the COVID-19 pandemic affected the show's scripts, and how he wanted to keep the series rooted in the real world and using the pandemic also sort of played into Josh Corman's anxieties and own personal struggle. And of course, how Father really impacted the creation of this show and then we also talk about how he feels about some of those projects that didn't necessarily come to light such as Sandman based on the iconic graphic novel of the same name which I know many of us were very excited uh, to see Gordon Levitt star in but alas needless to say this is a very thoughtful and surprisingly in-depth look at the creation of Mr. Corman which I I binged through over the course of a couple days and loved every bit of it I, I found it to be so uh, refreshingly honest, uh, inventive, creative, uh, and just unabashedly Gordon Levitt. You know, if you enjoy the kind of creative endeavors he's doing over at Hit Record, I think you're going to really resonate with a lot of the stuff that he tackles in this series. And, you know, doing it through the lens of like a, a, an indie, uh, you, you know, dark comedy, rom com sort of framework, I think only lends to Gordon Levitt's abilities and just his comfortability in that entire environment. Uh, and this conversation was great. I, I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I've been a big fan for years, uh, and I'm, I'm so uh, thrilled that I was able to talk to him about this particular series with it being as personal as it is. But before we go any further, be sure to jump down in the comments section and let us know what your favorite Joseph Gordon-Levitt performance is like I said, the guy's been around for a very long time, and I know he's got a lot of uh, favorites, depending on who you are, so let's hear about that down in the comment section below. But enough from me, let's get into this thing. Here is my conversation with the one and only Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Awesome. Hey, Joseph, how's it going? Well, thanks. How are you doing, Griffin? I'm good. Good to talk to you. Uh, I I literally just finished uh, all 10 episodes this morning, and it was quite the whirlwind journey. Uh, I, I thoroughly loved it, and I can tell oh, that thank you. you put so much of yourself into that. Um, but while watching it, I, I couldn't help but feel like it was sort of reminiscent of the kind of like uh, do-it-yourself personal creative endeavors you do when you encourage people to do uh, with Hit Record. And so- yeah. I kind of wanted to start there just because I know that's such a big part of your life. What about your work with, you know, hit record, uh, do, do you think sort of informed the creation of this series? Well, for one thing, it's funny. People have been asking me a lot. Okay. Well, you have all these titles, director and writer and blah, 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 blah. And one thing I like to say is yeah, it's very much a collaboration. This is not a one man show in the slightest. I worked with four wonderful writers uh, another great director, and and the actors brought so much. The cinematographer, the production designer, Sally Sue, our first AD. I mean, everybody was contributing so much to the show, and and that principle of collaboration is is central to what goes on on Hit Record. Yeah, and uh, you know the time that I've spent with our community and and how our community has evolved has taught me so much to value bringing in more and more input from more people, and and not just doing it yourself. Yeah, because I, that's interesting that you mentioned that. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the collaborative aspect because I think there's there's so much of this show that could be like a one-man show. There are ways that I imagine you probably could adapt this for something on stage or, or whatnot. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm just sort of curious what uh, 
what perspectives did your did your crew did did people you brought on board what uh you know how did they also inform the creation of what went on well it started with the the writing you know i i wrote two scripts with apple um before they gave us the green light to hire writers and uh and then we we hired four writers um bruce and julia and roja and rosa and um they helped enormously i mean the scripts are so much better for their involvement that they would have been if if i had just been doing it alone um you know bruce wrote on seinfeld and six yeah. feet under and girls and um and then roja and julia are like are are really new and, and fresh and and it's exciting to get their perspective as well and so i mean the the writing was very very collaborative um and i could also talk about aurora the other director um because yeah. i directed eight of the episodes she directed two of the episodes and and her episodes are fantastic and um and i definitely couldn't have done it without her um i could go on and on and, yeah, and talk yeah, about yeah. everybody but no, for sure. Um, and I think sort of what gets to the heart of this series and what, what sort of differentiates it from other, uh, I, I guess, existential works, if you will, um, is is how you introspectively examine, you know, your own success, your good fortune uh, that you've sort of attained throughout your career through the lens of an alternate reality. And that that is so unique to this kind of uh, storytelling. So I'm curious why you felt that was sort of the best avenue to reflect upon, you know, your, your own career, especially with, with how long your career has been. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I looked back and found my earliest notes for this show when I first wrote down the idea and it was in 2015, which is the year I became a dad. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think becoming a dad led to a lot of self-reflection and I, I just was writing down a whole bunch of things I was grateful for in my life. Like, getting to be a dad or my wonderful partner who I love so much or having two great parents that have supported me and been so good for me. And um, as well as work that I do that gets to be meaningful for me or just being healthy or, or safe. I feel really, really grateful for all those things. Um, and that leads me to, to kind of remind myself, you know, I, I got pretty lucky. Like a lot of this stuff just comes down to luck It was beyond my control. And, and, so that led me to think like, well, like, what if some of those things are beyond my control had, had been a bit different. Mm, and, yeah. um, and I arrived at this character, Josh, Josh Corman, it sounds sort of like Joseph Gordon. And look, it's not that he's got it bad at all. Actually right. he's got it quite good. He's, you know, he's got a job, he's got a house, he's, you know, not a house, but he lives in a place. Um, you know, he's got all kinds of advantages, like by, you know, just by virtue of being a, a straight white male, he has advantages that are not necessarily something he deserves per se. And and I, I think he's aware of of all that he has to be grateful for, but he'd also be lying if he were to say, okay, that I'm happy 100% of the time. Yeah. And and to me, that's not, that's not because he's got it bad or or because he's complaining. It's just kind of human. I, I feel that too. And, and I, I I have it so good, but I would also be lying if I told you I, I'm happy 100% of the time. And and so to me, that's that's a fascinating character because a lot of what you see on screen is usually kind of more simple. You see someone who's either this or they're that. They're either happy or they're sad. They're yeah. a hero or a villain, a sinner or a saint. And to me, like someone who's a bit more complicated, someone who's you know, doing their best, trying to be a good person, trying to be happy, um, but messing up sometimes that feels like a, a real human being. And, and um, so that 
felt to me like, okay, this is something you could really explore for, you know, more than, than just a movie. You could go into all the different nooks and crannies of this person's life. Yeah, well, and it's so tangible the way that you depict it. I mean, authenticity was the first thing that came to mind as I was watching it, especially in just sort of like your depiction of LA, right? And like the the <laughs> if you've lived there, you kind of pick up on things of people who who have sort of uh, you know are transplants and and whatnot. But I think another uh, thing that sort of happened that provided you a different avenue was the pandemic and like. Josh is this hyper fixated, anxiety filled, kind of pessimistic kind of guy. And then when the pandemic hits, it's possibly the worst possible thing for everyone, but especially for someone who is like very like going through all these different issues. And so I'm kind of curious, how did you have to adapt the series uh, to kind of go along with what was happening? And then why did you think that including the pandemic specifically in the series was, you know, the way to go? Yeah, well, we were we were already shooting the show and had all of our scripts written when the pandemic arrived. And yeah, we shut down and, and we did do some rewriting. Mm -hmm. And you're you're really picking up on exactly our thought process, because mm -hmm. we thought about ignoring the pandemic, but that didn't exactly feel like real life. And this isn't a work of escapism. It's a show about a, a, just trying to be about a real person in the real world. So it didn't feel right to just ignore it. We didn't want to change our whole show, though. So we decided to keep our first seven episodes the same and just do the last three episodes seeing the pandemic arrive. And what really convinced me that that was the right way to go is because it actually felt like it coincided so nicely with the story we were telling. Like you said, this character is someone who catastrophizes. Yeah. And in, in episode eight, where the pandemic first arrives, that's exactly what his mom calls him out on. It says, this is what you do. You find the worst possible version in everything. So everything feels like a disaster. And um, I, I, I would, again, I'd, I'd have to be being dishonest if I said I didn't do that sometimes. Sometimes right. my brain goes to a negative place and I don't want it to. And I try to tell it not to. I try to tell, hey, you, you don't really have anything to worry about. You've got a lot to be grateful for. But I, for whatever reason, I, I, I can't seem to help it. Sometimes my brain goes to a negative place. And yeah. From talking to a wide variety of people, it seems like I'm not alone in that. Yeah. And, and so I, I thought that having this character who this is what he does, he's, he, he catastrophizes, showing him have to deal with a genuine catastrophe like the pandemic um, made perfect sense for kind of the back third of our story. Yeah. Well, and I think it's a great way of letting, you know, a, a wider audience sort of into the, the headspace of this character. Um, as well. I, I, I want to sort of go into some of Josh's like uh, creative ambition. So uh, throughout a lot of the show, Josh is reflecting on like the life he could have had had he become a musician. Um, and it got me sort of thinking, you know, you've been around a very long time. You've had a lot of, uh, you know, passion projects that I'm sure have never really come to fruition. I mean, I know Sandman was also a big one for you. Do you ever right. sort of re reflect on any of those and uh, maybe specifically Sandman? Because I know you're such a fan of that property. Yeah, sure. There's there's all kinds of things. I mean, again, it feels silly for me to like talk about the stuff I didn't get to do because I've gotten to do so many things. Yeah, yeah. But I I also feel like that that's you know, <sighs> I feel like anybody we, we all have a lot to be grateful for. Anybody who's like got the spare time and the the disposable income to be watching a show on a you know premium subscription service has it pretty good relative to many human beings who are alive on the planet today. Yeah. And, and that just goes back to that same point. Like just because 
there's a lot to be grateful for. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person if you're not happy 100 percent of the time. It's actually yeah. quite normal and and okay. And um, and so yeah, of course, I I harbor fantasies about like, ah oh, man, I wanted to play the Super Bowl. You know, I wanted to be on that stage and having the whole world singing my songs, you know, like, yeah, yeah why didn't I get to do that? And um, we, I, you know, I, I think no matter who you are, you're going to have those those things. That's part of being a human. Like not everything goes the way that you expected it to go. And, you know, sometimes that's sad. Sometimes that's stressful. Sometimes it can be funny. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's I don't know, maybe that's just my sense of humor, but I, I find some of the some of the most uncomfortable or even dark tragic things in life are moments where I laugh. Yeah. Well, and then that's what I love about the show. It just captures that wide array range of uh, emotions. Um, listen, I got to start wrap or actually I have to go now, but thank you so much for your time, Joseph. Uh, again, I really love the show uh, and I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. So uh, I really appreciate it. it. Thanks, yeah, man. Sure. Really Take care. It.